Well, this week is not exactly shaping up to be a good one for Special Prosecutor Jack Smith, the man you've all read about in the news as being the one who was assigned by Merrick Garland to prosecute former President Donald Trump. In fact, uh, there's cases afoot which may even challenge the veracity of Mr. Smith's appointment as a special counsel. But we're going to get into that and other matters related to Jack Smith and the election and the legal challenges faced by both President Trump and Jack Smith himself. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another episode of the Jamie Dury Show podcast. If you're not already done so, please subscribe to the show, and you can do so in one of several easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store, the iTunes App Store, and download the free Podbean app, which is our hosting service, and search out the Jamie Dury Show there and subscribe, or you can simply use your native podcast aggregator app that you use on your Google uh, Android and or iTunes uh, Apple device and subscribe that way. Whichever way you choose to subscribe, you'll be able to leave reviews, comments, <clears throat> give us a five-star review. We do a, a good job, at least I think so. We try and do a good job with getting you information that's not readily available other places and not reported other places. So uh, please help us out and give us a five-star review. If you also want to email me about a topic or you have a question, you can do so at jamiedury1776 at gmail.com. So why has it been such a bad week for Jack Smith? Well, there are several reasons. First of all, Jack Smith attempted to fast-track a ruling before the Supreme Court. He wanted a petition for a writ of certiorari before the judgment was denied. Uh, what he was seeking to do, he was seeking to get a ruling in advance indicating on the part of the court that Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution based on his status as a former president of the United States and that the 14th Amendment makes him vulnerable because he led an insurrection. Well, there are several problems with this from a legal standpoint. Problem number one is There has been no finding by any court that is entitled to sit in judgment of that charge that has found Donald Trump guilty of insurrection. That's the first thing. Second thing, the 14th Amendment was never envisioned to be used against a president. In fact, the 14th Amendment specifies the people it can be used against, and it was passed in the aftermath of the Civil War, and what it was specifically designed to do was prevent former Confederate generals or people who had taken up arms against the Union Army and the uh, lawfully elected government of the United States of America from ever holding office as a senator or a congressman or an elector or anything along those lines uh, for obvious reasons. It was not meant to be applied to a president. Now, had they wanted apply to a president. They could have easily put that in there, and they did not. That's the first thing. Second, presidents carry with them immunity from prosecution for a host of reasons. And this new fanciful argument that's attempting to be advanced by Smith and is being um, enjoined by that piece of garbage democratically appointed Judge Chutkin in the D.C. Circuit that he's not a king. He doesn't carry these immunities after he leaves office. Well, that's not exactly true. Now, it's true to the extent that 
No, a president doesn't have immunity for the rest of his life for anything he may do after he leaves office by virtue of the fact that he had been in office at some point in time prior. Nobody's arguing that. Nobody's arguing that a president uh, who's in office for four years or eight years and then gets out of office and then three or four years later commits a crime that he shouldn't be allowed to say, well, I'm a former president, I have immunity. No, he doesn't have immunity because the crime that he's accused of took place after he left office. We're not talking about that. We're talking about immunity from actions that a president may take while they are in office. And if you're trying to say and make the idiot argument, and anyone with common sense can see this, that you only have immunity from prosecution for any actions you take as president while you're president, and that once you leave the office, everything you did cannot be revisited and we can prosecute you. Well, that's no immunity at all. That's simply a tolling of a statute of prosecution against you. And no one would ever take any action knowing that he could ultimately be prosecuted anyway. That's like saying a president is in the last six months of his office and a crisis comes uh, up which requires him to make a very difficult decision, which may be questionable. But he does it because he has to make a decision. Well, they're saying they can't prosecute him today. But six months from now, on January 21st, or after 12 noon on January 20th, when his successor is sworn in and he is sworn out, they say they can indict him. Well, who's going to take the argument? There is no question. It's a legal precedent. It's long established. A president carries immunity from prosecution for any acts that he committed while he is president. They did that so that we would not have a banana republic. The only thing you can do is attempt to remove a president, and the removal process is very, very difficult, and it's called an impeachment, and that's it. No one has ever been successfully impeached in the history of this country. Andrew Johnson was impeached. He was acquitted. Richard Nixon was threatened with impeachment. He resigned. Bill Clinton was impeached. He was acquitted. Donald Trump was impeached twice, and he was acquitted. In fact, the second impeachment wasn't even a lawful impeachment, and we know that because even Waffler Chief Justice Roberts refused to preside, as the Constitution requires, over the trial in the Senate in the second impeachment because he knew it was unconstitutional. You can't impeach a man who was no longer in the office. These were all threadbare attempts to try and create the appearance of impropriety on the part of Donald Trump and to create the impression falsely among the general public that he is somehow uh, unfit for office or not legally entitled to run for office. All of this is completely false. The Supreme Court rejected today a petition by the special counsel, Jack Smith, for an immediate review of a defense in one of two cases he is prosecuting against Trump. The 1982 Supreme Court opinion established absolute immunity for presidents from civil suits, but as both parties have argued, the bounds of immunity from criminal prosecution have not been defined. I'm reading from an article here. If the Supreme Court had agreed to review the presidential immunity defense, it would have established the outcome of President Trump's motion to dismiss this case based on presidential immunity in the appeals court. In other words, the Supreme Court could simply say, well, you want a ruling in advance? We'll give you one. 
Presidents are immune. End of story. You can't go forward with these cases by default. But most conservative courts prefer the minimal amount of intervention as possible. They don't view themselves as a super legislature. They are a court of last resort. They are an arbiter between the executive and the uh, legislative branch in many cases. They are the final rule of law in this country, and they don't like to exercise that authority, or at least they shouldn't, until it's absolutely necessary. So it could very well be that the Supreme Court is willing to let these cases play out in the hopes that President Trump is acquitted so that they don't even have to engage in the argument. In the, in the event that he is convicted, it's a foregone conclusion that his attorneys will appeal and it will ultimately reach the Supreme Court. I cannot see the Supreme Court saying we're not going to hear the case. And at that point, this same constitutional argument will be offered by his attorneys and they will have to then rule on it. And if they do rule that he has immunity, all the convictions go by the wayside. But they don't want to see themselves as being portrayed as having done that in advance and therefore intervening on behalf of the president uh, and, and exerting undue influence. So in the interest of propriety, they may just sit back and give a limited ruling to prevent an advance ruling as uh, Mr. Smith would like. Now, this is all because earlier this month, the aforementioned piece of garbage judge, Tanya Chutkin, denied a motion to dismiss based on presidential uh, immunity, allowing the president to take this to the appeals court. She's the one that said, he's not a king. He doesn't get to do this. All of this is wrongheaded. Okay? So we're going to see how this all shakes out. Um, But the the court is going to impact the case uh, because... um, It's accepted a separate January 6th related issue on December 13th, so they may have something to say about that issue. More on that when we get more information on it. Uh, January 6th itself has become a travesty and a blight on the American system of justice. We're supposed to have a right to a speedy trial when you are a defendant, and that's the defendant's right, not the prosecutor's right. And we have defendants that have been incarcerated since January 6th, and there's no reason why they should be held uh, incommunicado when murderers get released in various states now under these new laws in some of these blue states. This is almost, um, it's almost like the Fourth Reich. In any case, bad news for Jack Smith uh, on that case. Now, we have some more information. Jack Smith's appointment itself as special prosecutor is now coming up under public scrutiny. Turns out an amicus brief was filed with the Supreme Court arguing that Jack Smith's very appointment should never have happened. Who appoint, who uh, filed this amicus brief? Well, it was filed in conjunction um, with other people. Amicus, amicus means friend of the court. A person generally has to have standing, has to have some sort of notoriety. Um, in this case, I think both of those criteria were filled. It was former Attorney General Edwin Meese, who happened to be the Attorney General under President Ronald Reagan, and he was joined by two scholars uh, of law who submitted this amicus brief with the Supreme Court that the Department of Justice's appointment of Jack Smith as special counsel was an unconstitutional action 
and that every action against former President Donald Trump that Jack Smith has taken should therefore be declared null and void. Here is a direct quote. This court should reject Mr. Smith's request for certiorari before judgment. This is the aforementioned case I just spoke about, trying to get an advance ruling. For the simple reason that he lacks authority to ask for it. Now, this is a, um, an amicus brief filed in the appeal that Smith made before the court, uh, trying to get this evidentiary ruling in advance because Donald Trump's attorneys filed opposing briefs, and as a friend of the court, Mises in joining this. He said, um, so he lacks the authority to ask for it. And this is from Meese and these two constitutional scholars, who I'll get to in a minute. Quote, nor does he have authority to conduct the underlying prosecutions themselves. Those actions can be taken only by persons properly appointed as federal officers to properly created federal offices. Meaning that the only type of people who can be appointed as a special prosecutor has to be someone who was already serving in the capacity of a federal prosecutor in a bona fide federal office somewhere in the government at the time. In other words, you're all aware that many of the states are divided into different districts. Here in New York City, we have the Southern District of New York. We have the Eastern District of New York. And there's a head attorney in each of these offices. They're called the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, the U.S. Attorney for the uh, Eastern District, Rudy Giuliani, before being mayor, used to be U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Generally, one of those people is appointed as special prosecutor, as was the case with the attorney from Connecticut who was appointed to look into cases during um, during, uh, President Trump's tenure. Okay, so that's the way it's supposed to be. At the time he was appointed, Jack Smith wasn't an employee of the federal government in any capacity. He was working as a prosecutor in the International Court at the Hague prosecuting war crimes. This filing Wednesday argued that Attorney General Merrick Garland, quote, exceeded his statutory and constitutional authority when he appointed Smith last year to oversee two federal cases targeting President Trump. The Attorney General has cited a statute for the appointment, but the statute is not even remotely authorized the appointment by the Attorney General of a private citizen to receive extraordinary criminal law enforcement power under the title of special counsel. Quote, not clothed in the authority of the federal government, Smith is a modern example of the naked emperor. Improperly appointed, he has no more authority to represent the United States in this court than Bryce Harper, Taylor Swift, or Jeff Bezos. The fact is sufficient to sink Smith's petition and the court should deny review. Now, this is extremely interesting because this is a very clearly defined statute. I would love to see the Supreme Court weigh in on this because they could simply weigh in on this and say, I'm sorry, this is something that cannot be allowed to wait. We cannot allow a prosecution to go forward when the very person bringing it is not entitled to bring it because the attorney general who should know better is exceeding his authority because he appointed Jack Smith. And he did so not because there weren't enough competent prosecutors in the employ of the federal government around the country, but because he justice shopped 
for a person that he felt would do the bidding of not only himself, but his boss, Joe Biden, and the Obamas who are pulling the Biden strings. Jack Smith is no stranger to this sort of chicanery. He's prosecuted many people in the past in high-profile political cases, and all of these cases have been overturned on appeal because he is not a very, very uh, upstanding uh, officer of the court. He was involved in some local prosecutions in New York in his time as a U.S. attorney in the Eastern District, but he gained great fame in the Office of Special Prosecutor in the International Criminal Court in The Hague. He spent uh, five years in the Department of Justice Public Integrity Section. During that time, he prosecuted many corruption cases, including those against Virginia Governor Bob McDonnell, overturned, Representative Rick Rienzi, I believe, overturned, Sheldon Silver and Jeffrey Sterling, a Central Intelligence Agency uh, operative, Uh, But a lot of these big cases were overturned because of misconduct on the part of Mr. Smith. So he certainly isn't the man that should be prosecuting anyone, let alone a former president of the United States, and he certainly doesn't qualify under the statute of being a current employee in a federal office, duly appointed to that office uh, by the uh, appropriate uh, procedures. So he may very well find himself out of a job. If the Supreme Court decides to weigh in on this, this would be extremely interesting. Now, the professors that have joined Edwin Meese in this amicus brief are two law professors. One, Stephen Calabrese of Northwestern University, a highly respected law school, and Gary Lawson of Boston University, another highly respected institution. They both joined Mr. Reese. Quote, I think the Supreme Court when it ultimately addresses these, these appointment clause issues, will reach the same conclusion that former Attorney General Ed Meese, Professor Gary Lawson, and I, this is Calabrese speaking on behalf of all three, have in the amicus brief which we filed today in the Supreme Court. Jack Smith's appointment to special counsel was unconstitutional, and every action that he has taken since his appointment is now null and void. So this is going to be extremely interesting. I can't wait to see this. This would be a master stroke. If this happens, um, this would wipe out all these federal cases against Trump. All of them. They'd have to start from scratch again. I think it might be politically untenable for them to do it because by that time the election may have already come and gone. I think if Mr. Trump would lose the election. I don't think anybody would be interested in going forward with the prosecution, just as I think most people believe that he'd, if he had not decided to run for office again, none of this would be happening. And if he should win, well, you know the answer to that already. Everything goes by the wayside. Now, far from just leaving it at that, uh, Mr. Calabresi went on to say just how Mr. Garland was supposed to go about appointing a special prosecutor in this case. He said the proper way would be to ask one of the very best Senate-confirmed U.S. attorneys, one of the men I just talked about a few moments ago, now in office to prosecute the cases arising out of the events of January 6th or the misuse of classified documents case. Allow one of them to be special counsel and allowing that U.S. attorney to prosecute cases nationwide and not only in one of the 93 districts, each of which has its own Senate 
confirmed U.S. attorney. That was the case with uh, Special Prosecutor Durham. He was from originally from Connecticut, but because he was appointed special counsel, he was allowed to prosecute in any jurisdiction. But he was lawfully appointed because he was a sitting U.S. attorney at the time. Mr. Smith is not and was not. So again, this is going to be extremely, extremely interesting. Now, another issue that's going before the Supreme Court, it's going to be a big, big, big uh, month or two for the Supreme Court. The state of Colorado has removed Trump from the ballot or made a decision, but it wasn't the state itself. It was the panel of judges. All democratically appointed, none of them elected, all with an axe to grind. The problem is what they did was tantamount to them conducting their own private legal determination and trial of a federal issue that they're not permitted to review and concluding that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection without having spoken to a witness, without having watched a video, without having taken a word of testimony and decided arbitrarily that therefore, since he engaged in insurrection, we are going to uh, say that he's um, unqualified to be on the ballot. To say nothing of the fact that two major facts which are never mentioned by any of the news media outlets, which would clearly, in and of themselves, undercut this insurrection argument. You know, there's a strong line of demarcation between the executive branch and the uh, legislative branch. The Speaker of the House is the one who's responsible for securing the Capitol building. You have an upper chamber and a lower chamber, but the House of Representatives is the people's house. As I've said in previous shows, most people don't know that up until the early 1900s, you didn't vote for your U.S. Senator. You were never supposed to because they were never supposed to represent you in the first place. This was the genius of the government set up by our founding fathers. The senators represented the sovereign states as entities. That's why each state gets two senators regardless of population because each state, regardless of population, is an equal partner in this republic. The state of Vermont, with no one living in it, has just as much to say about what goes on as the state of California, which has over 10% of the country's population and everything in between. But they changed it, basically rendering the position of Senate senator is a, a moot point. But the People's House is run by the Speaker of the House, which is why after the Vice President, that person is number three in line to take over the presidency if no one else is available, if the, both the President and the Vice President are incapacitated or killed. Prior to January 6th, in anticipation of possible protests, Donald Trump communicated to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi that he was prepared to send 10,000 National Guard troops to Washington, D.C. to guard the Capitol building if she wished it. She declined. She didn't want anyone there. I submit to you they did this deliberately because they wanted this to get out of hand. And now we know that the FBI had people in there instigating, becoming a willing part of it, promoting it, fomenting this sort of, of, of uh, rat, uh, rowdy behavior. So that's a factor that goes against 
President Trump engaging in insurrection by offering security that would have prevented any problem. In addition, when he concluded his speech on the Mall that day, he encouraged everyone to go forward and protest peacefully. Those two actions, taken in total, undercut any argument that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection. And I think any reasonable person knows this. And more and more people are coming to this conclusion and seeing just how stacked the deck is against him unlawfully, unnecessarily, which is why his numbers continue to go up. Do you know we've now gotten to the point where people were talking about Ron DeSantis as an alternative to Donald Trump uh, when this thing first uh, got off the ground, this campaign for the White House in 2024. And you had people like Ken Cuccinelli and everybody else saying that Donald Trump is divisive. Nobody wants to see Donald Trump, Biden again. We need new blood. Uh, DeSantis is the man. People are starting to see DeSantis. They're starting to see that he, his voter base, his donor base are the same establishment Republicans that have been around for decades. The Bush family very much behind him. I used to like the Bushes. I begin to lose faith in them as well because uh, as more and more has come out about them. So people are turning to Trump because they realize the country really does need someone from outside the box to win. And it's now reached the point where if Donald Trump runs in a presidential primary in the state of Florida, where the great Ron DeSantis is from, and he did a good job as governor, Trump crushes him in his own home state. Every time they put a knife in this man's side and another nail in his coffin, his numbers go up. It's getting to the point now where they can't stop him any other way, so now they're trying just to keep him off the ballot. Well, the Supreme Court is very likely to strike this down, and this is the um, reasoning of one Horace Cooper, who is a legal scholar, is a great article here in the Times, uh, quoting Mr. Cooper. Let me give you some pull quotes. We'll lead into it. Uh, The Supreme Court is likely to strike down the ruling. The court, now Horace Cooper is a senior fellow for the National Center for Public Policy Research. He used to teach constitutional law at George Mason University, a highly respected law school. He states that the Supreme Court may say the 14th Amendment's disqualification clause doesn't apply to the president. Now, the Supreme Court of Colorado, I said, said he engaged in insurrection, but this is without any fact-finding at all. They're just doing this arbitrarily, basically substituting their opinion, their preference for due process, due process that Donald Trump would be entitled to. And they're doing this under the specious argument that under Colorado election law, only qualified candidates can be placed on the ballot. And it would be wrongful for the Secretary of State to allow on the ballot a candidate disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Now, that may be true, but it is not within the purview of the Colorado Supreme Court to make the determination that he's disqualified. Who has disqualified Trump under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment? (coughs) Excuse me. That requires a determination by a federal court and maybe ultimately by the Supreme Court after a trial and a hearing, not by an arbitrary decision by some uh, pool of political hacks in Colorado. Mr. Cooper says the Supreme Court is highly likely to take this case fairly quickly. The Supreme Court doesn't have to address the issue right away, 
it can put the state decision on hold and wait to issue a ruling until after the Colorado primary. But it's unlikely that it would try to wait until after the next president is sworn in in 2025 and then say, well, it's a mood issue, so we're not going to talk about it. Cooper says, I don't think they can get away with a 13-month delay. Now, another reason why the Supreme Court may step in is because they're trying to make less work for itself. Remember what I said in the beginning. The Supreme Court is the final arbiter, but when you get a conservative court, they try not to be proactive. They try and be reactive, as they're supposed to be, constitutional minimalists, making those decisions that only require, that can only be made by them, and then always in the most minimalist way possible. So rather than deal with a, a avalanche of litigation, of litigation, they are going to make this decision now because in New York, California, and Pennsylvania, among others, <clears throat> there are moves underway to try and do similar things with moving President Trump from the ballot. Now, whether it's an issue in New York or California, I don't know, because most Republicans don't win those states anyway, but Pennsylvania is very much in the running. And things are so bad in my home state of New York that I'm not so convinced that Trump can't win here uh, either. And Michigan also had an issue with this early. So they may decide to make this ruling to stop these other people from making uh, hay with this. The U.S. Supreme Court, according to him, will probably reverse the Colorado court, but will likely look for a narrow way to do so. Quote, there are some who want the court to weigh in on the issue of insurrection. They want the court to weigh in on the issue of whether or not the actions that some or maybe many have observed of Donald Trump constituted insurrection, even if not charged and certainly not convicted. The Supreme Court is highly unlikely to weigh in on that. The 14th Amendment does not specifically list the presidency among the offices to which the disqualification clause applies. I said this earlier in the broadcast. But the Colorado court argued that the reference to any office, civil or military, under the United States covers the presidency and that the historical record indicated that the amendment wasn't meant to exclude it. However, Mr. Cooper predicted that the Supreme Court may take the opposite side of the argument as it would allow it to dissolve the issue without getting into the weeds of what the president did or didn't do. Quote, a more conservative court often tries to resolve a matter in the most straightforward way possible with the minimum need for a deep engagement on the part of the court. So I would say it is actually highly likely that the court simply says, as a matter of statutory construction, the office of the presidency was never contemplated for this. If they say that, it's over. Can't go forward. Mr. Cooper pointed out that the 14th Amendment was ratified in 1868, specifically to include former Confederates from positions of power. Quote, their target was specifically the Confederacy. Their target was not anyone who supported the French in the French and Indian War. Their target was not anyone who supported the British in the British-American War. Even though the language isn't written in a way to limit those, the rationale was the Confederacy. Anyone knows about the historical debate knows it was because of the Confederacy. The further you get away from a construction involving actual people who had engaged in military rebellion against the government, the more careful you're going to have to be about your reading. 
The justices, particularly the conservative-leaning ones, will try to avoid passing judgment on the insurrection rhetoric, and therefore it may just come down to that simple question. The strict construction of the statute says the office of the presidency was never contemplated for this. So this is all extremely, extremely interesting. Now, I know I started out by saying uh, it was a bad week for Jack Smith, and I made it mostly about a legal um, argument today. But this one little issue I wanted to hit before we closed out for the weekend, because I probably won't be speaking to you again until uh, next week after the Christmas holiday, because today is the uh, 22nd of December. It's Friday. I don't think I'll be able to get time for a broadcast uh, over the weekend. And I do apologize. Um, I had mentioned this in my last broadcast. I do apologize for not having done one for a while. Uh, These broadcasts I do personally, so I have complete control over them, usually on my computer. And my computer was on the fritz. I had to order a new one. And I simply couldn't just go to the Apple store and order one because if you are an aficionado of Apple, you know that computers are usually stocked in the stores in one of several configurations. Now, if one of those stock configurations meets your needs, you can be in action in a day. Uh, I wasn't in that position. I had to order something that wasn't in stock configuration. So my computer had to be shipped from Shanghai. So it took a better part of 10 days to get it, which knocked me out of commission, and then I had to restore it and so forth and so on. But we're in business now, and I'm glad that I I bought one when I did because at least now I know I have a brand new machine to carry us through right through the election so we can give you detailed coverage and frequent coverage. But the one issue I wanted to hit was an issue regarding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. You know, support for Israel was strong, as we all predicted it would be, in the beginning, in the immediate aftermath of the October 7th attacks, because of all the blood, the death, and the destruction that Hamas had uh, wrought upon innocent civilians, beheading babies, cutting fetuses out of the stomachs of pregnant women. Acts so horrific you can't even speak it. But as Israel has had to turn the screws and hunt them down because Hamas and these cowardly terrorists like to use human shields to protect their terrorist operations, putting munitions inside hospitals, building tunnels under schools, forcing the Israelis to bomb these installations. Public support is waning. We now have the United States asking Israel to tone it down. And through all of this, the Palestinian people are portrayed as innocent victims who are caught between a rock and a hard place in the Gaza Strip, between the might of the Israeli Defense Force backed by the United States and the evil of Hamas. And they have no place to run because no other Arab state wants the Palestinians because they have not been the uh, best people to have in your country. That's an argument and an investigation and an explanation for another day. What I want to speak to in the closing minutes here is this portrayal in the media of this narrative of the Palestinians being purely innocent victims and not in any way responsible for what Hamas did on October 7th. Well, on the contrary, there was a recent survey 
was done last month, uh, and one another one was done even more recently than that. That wasn't much reported, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Western media, and uh, it's no surprise why when I get into it with you. The poll was conducted by the Arab World for Research and Development. This is a public opinion research firm, and it's based in the Palestinian territories and affiliated with the Brzezet University in the West Bank. So it's not a Jewish outfit. According to this poll, three-quarters of the Palestinians support the October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel that killed 1,200 people. And nearly as many back a Palestinian state from the river to the sea, which means wiping out Israel. The group surveyed 668 adults living in Gaza and the West Bank between October 31st and November 7th. And these were in-person interviews. 59% of the respondents indicated that they extremely support Hamas. Specifically, they extremely supported the actions of Hamas on October 7th. And an additional 16% saying that they somewhat support the actions of Hamas on October 7th. Now those figures are in line with polling that has found historical support for Hamas overall, but you've got 76% of people supporting the actions of Hamas on the 7th of October, and you have 76% saying that they hold a very positive or somewhat positive view of the Hamas organization. Anyone who would support that type of brutality, that sort of depraved indifference to human life, that sort of genocidal extermination of a people who want nothing more than to be left alone and live within the confines of their borders are not innocent bystanders. They are complicit in those actions. They support those actions. And if they really want to be free of any of the actions of the Israeli Defense Forces, they would stop their support of Hamas and prevail upon them to surrender. Because there's no question that if Hamas came forward and surrendered tomorrow and offered up all their munitions and stores and revealed where all their terrorist tunnels are, the Israeli government would stop the onslaught tomorrow. But the Israelis are smart enough to know that they cannot fight this thing halfway. Because unless they wipe out Hamas completely, they'll be fighting this war again. And it will be in response to another sneak attack in which untold numbers of Israeli people will be killed. Evil can't be negotiated with. As Winston Churchill said correctly, when trying to convince his countrymen that it was no time to to, uh, negotiate with Hitler, he said, how many times must I tell you, you cannot negotiate with a tiger when your head is in its mouth. And that's the situation we're in today. Merry Christmas to everyone out there. If I don't speak to you beforehand, or if you don't hear me beforehand, have a happy New Year as well, but I do expect to broadcast between Christmas and New Year's. Have a happy and a healthy. For the Jamie Dury Show, 
I'm Jamie Dury.